ADT professionally installs Google Nest products, helping to make your home safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. And with Nest Cams and Nest Doorbell, you get intelligent alerts on what matters most. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get done for Hello and welcome back to Nerf This, the esports show that has paid somebody to create their Wikipedia page. I'm your host, Brian Huff, and I'm joined, as I always am, by the Yanni to my Laurel 7. Hello, sir. <laughs> Wait, I don't even know what that means. I'm just going to let it go. You have not been on the uh, internet today? No, I haven't, man. I told you I've been on an <sighs> island. No, I know. By the way, by the way, I left like two hours before they went like code red on that volcano. <laughs> I was mid-flight. You I were so cocky about it. You're like, I'm going to the Big Island. Everything will be fine. And then it's I like, didn't go to the Big Island. I went to Maui. The Big Island's the, the, the problem child with volcanoes. Yeah, I well, stayed away from volcanoes. I stayed away idea. from the internet, obviously. So, Yanni versus Laurel. So, you remember the stupid is the dress like blue or gold or whatever crap that they did? Was uh, like the picture of this? So, this yeah. is like the audio version of this. Apparently, um, there's this audio out there that some people hear the person saying Yanni and the other person hears them saying Laurel. I hear Laurel, but apparently, some people hear Yanni. <laughs> And I don't know whether they hear someone saying Yanni or they hear the crazy, like, mullet-wearing dude from the 90s with all the cor- crazy orchestral stuff that was on PBS, but <laughs> okay, all right, all right. that'd be a weird, strange thing to hear. Well, I'll have to take this uh, test and, and give my information over to, uh, was it Cambridge An- Analytica yes. as well, which I know they're defunct, but still, you never know. They say they're defunct. Yeah. But they really actually work for just... Jens Hilgers, and now they're collecting all your data for eSports. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We've got a lot to get to this week. We got tons of Overwatch to talk about. We're going to also talk about some uh, interesting things going around about Mr. Jens Hilgers and uh, the connections of the CS:GO community. Before we do that, let's talk some sports betting. So there was a big decision made by the U.S. Supreme Court this week, in which they have now gotten. And I want to be clear here because I hate when I see this misreported. They have cleared the way for states to legalize gambling. Right. A lot of you will see a lot of people reporting this as them legalizing gambling, and that is not true. They have made it so it is not illegal federally. So now states and New Jersey was the ones who kicked off the lawsuit that eventually brought it to the Supreme Court in order to allow states to decide on their own the legality of sports betting. Up to this point, there have only been, what is it, Vegas and or Nevada, I guess, technically, and one other area that I cannot think of that were grandfathered into this before the law, federal law was put into place. But now all states are able to pass laws to legalize sports betting. This has obviously set professional sports leagues all crazy because they have been working frantically for the past couple of years to figure out how they can get their fingers in this pie before it gets legalized. But the bigger and more pertinent thing for us is esports because gambling in esports, skin trading, things of you know, fantasy esports 
have been a big thing for a while, despite the questionable legality of some of this stuff and the questionable legal age of the people participating in it. And it feels like the floodgates potentially could get opened pretty wide around esports and gambling. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that have been mentioned. Uh, I think uh, uh, Bryce Bloom had, had talked about how uh, Chris Christie in New Jersey was one of the ones that kicked off this whole uh, fight or the talking about making or getting it to uh, decriminalized, whatever you may say, federally. And and he had mentioned that even if that when it happens, he says the the minute that uh, they they choose to no longer make it a federal crime, he says they can have something in place for actual betting within two weeks to start. To, to kind of control the, the, the you know, who's doing it and how much money is being involved. And, um, but, but Bryce had mentioned esports is a very, very far away from that. There is no infrastructure for that. And as we'll get to later in the show, there's a ton from a standpoint of just intermingling of money and who owns what and, and how betting would go. You can't even track the money correctly anymore. And so esports is not two years off or two months off from that or two weeks off from that. It's probably two decades off from being controlled in that sense. Uh, whereas traditional sports have, have been doing it in some areas for, for some time. So they have a history and they have some systems around it, but not esports. Correct. Betting has been taking place in Vegas for most sports for a long time. And obviously this has caused some contention until very recently when Vegas entered the NHL, there was not any teams, professional sports teams to the caliber of the NHL, MLB, etc. that were placed in Vegas for concerns around this particular problem. So now we have Vegas in there, and that has kind of like tested the waters for our ability to kind of keep this under control when the people betting on the sport are in such close proximity to the people participating in said sport. But if you right. look in Europe, where this is commonplace, right? Like you can go on Sky News, get your footy, their footy, I don't know, I just put two words together, your footy news, <laughs> where Seven's daughter's blanket is on display. It is great. <laughs> but, Whatever. So you, you get, you know, you get your footy news, right? alongside the odds and you can bet directly through sky who is also bringing your news who's also bringing your television coverage so there's certainly integrations in other sports and other countries where this has been in place for a very long time but when you get to the question of esports it already has a pretty troubled history up to this point if you look at the skin gambling for example and we've seen a lot of this drama over the past couple of years that you and i have reported on he's the word reporting very loosely here in which we have talked about like we have people who own these sites also like going on youtube and making it look like that you can win very easily and also you know secretly profiting from that so there's not a whole lot outside of the fcc regulations that are often used to go after these people that are in place to stop this from happening and when you get into far more complex ownership rights around teams that are participating and who owns there's a lot of double dipping going on in esports generally speaking right like a lot of these companies that own the broadcasters that own the teams that own these betting organizations that are not currently involved in esports get involved in esports, and then all of a sudden they've got their fingers in the pie. So there is a lot less involved, and it gets a lot more sensitive because we're talking about teenagers and people that probably shouldn't be, will not be legally allowed to bet even with new rules in place because there's going to be probably no states that pass any laws that allow a 16-year-old to grab their mommy's credit card and bet on esports. 
But there is a lot of demand to. One of the things that I thought was interesting, you pointed out an article to me this week, where DraftKings talks about esports being one of their fastest growing segments. Entry fees for DraftKings League of Legends fantasy games alone were up 59% year over year in 2017. That should scare some people because there's clearly already an appetite here long before there's the regulation to control it. Well, you look at there was, what, $150 billion bet on sports, I think, last year. Uh, in terms of just in North America, but in esports as a whole, there was like five billion, right? Because it's largely been not allowed in North America, which is very heavy into that. However, uh, now though they've opened the floodgates, it's going to get insane, right? I think the, the uh, what's his name? I think it's like Rude. I can't remember his last name. Um, he, the guy who owns Unicorn, he says we literally with this. He goes, he just made our com- our company unicorn infinite me inf- infinitely more valuable because yep. they, I mean, now they exist were started, for a reason <laughs> they were they were started here in seattle uh and their office was like literally like two doors down from mine there's like four guys i remember them sitting in there and i was like what the hell is a unicorn and i was like oh esports betting well that's going to be really hard to take off in the states which is why they they moved to germany right and and so now they're like boom they're just a U.S. company that is now ahead of the game because they've been doing it since like 2014, yep. and and all everybody else is scrambling to catch up with it. Yep. And here's some here's a scary line for you. DraftKings has sponsorship agreements with Cloud9, CLG, and Team SoloMid, and FanDuel, who purchased AlphaDraft, which was a fantasy betting esports specific fantasy betting company also has their fingers in Fnatic, Team Dignitas, Luminosity, and Renegades. So we are already in this world. And I want to be clear here. There are betting organizations that sponsor football clubs. Like that you can go around the world and you will see things like right. Skybets and Betaway and things of that nature on the jerseys of teams. So this is not something that is unheard of. But so far, esports has not shown a propensity for being able to manage these potential conflicts of interest very well. The people involved are very young. There is a lot at this stage. This is something you and I talked about months ago. At this stage, there was still going to be more money in gaming this betting system than there is going to be in being an esports player. The average esports player does not make enough money to deal with the temptation that betting and the money that throwing games can be can bring you. Because if you look at where it happens in football, for example, we see it happen in football in the lower leagues where people are paying less attention and where there is less money as a player and those people are far more desperate to make money because they are not making enough from playing the sport on its own. Right. It, it is. It's troublesome. I mean, you start looking at things like Overwatch League, CSGO. CSGO's already had a history of, of players kind of taking advantage of StarCraft has as well. And uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to track because it's not as easy as like, oh, they sat out a game or something stupid or faked an injury. It's like it's it's sometimes hard to tell that like, oh, they misclicked. It was that a throw or not. And so you start yeah. questioning a lot of these things. Uh, and it's it's true that the money in esports runs in so many weird directions, but it always runs back to some of the same people. And that's what's uh, very problematic in the sense that uh, you can have a lot of these groups or a lot of these owners with multiple horses in the same race. And if you're not tracking the money absolutely carefully, or as careful as can be, then they could just as easily be 
well, we're going to pay these guys an extra bonus this year if they throw this game because they're up against Team B, which is the underdog, and we're going to bet heavy on them and make way more money than the tournament's worth. Yep. <laughs> so uh, it's just gaming the system it can lead to a lot more money than actually just playing the game itself. And that's what it has caused a lot of um, athletes in the past to – uh, throw games just in traditional sports is because they can make more money by throwing that game than yep. actually playing it and yep. that's very problematic especially when there's no holds barred when it comes to esports right now yeah there's just not enough people paying enough close attention to it something that came up this week of richard lewis brought up on his show and we have highlighted this as a potential problem in the past but it has been brought back to the surface in that the upcoming major that is being run by face it valve themselves is introduced a conflict of interest rule and it says 6.7 entry restrictions teams and players should not have any financial interest in the success of any team that they are competing against to participate in the 2018 fall major players and teams are required to affirm that they have no business entanglement this includes but is not limited to shared management shared ownership of entities licensing and loans with any other participating team or its players if teams or players have an agreement or business arrangement that may be of concern then please reach out to tournament, offic- tournament officials now we have talked about this before around the four of Wessa because you and I did a lot of squinting at the organizations that were involved and when you look at who owns them mm-hmm. it's basically like largely two people so you have <laughs> ES Force Holding which owns both SK and Virtus Pro and has financial interest in Navi through advertising rights and then you have this weird so there's this we, we made the joke earlier there's this gentleman named Jens Hilgers who has owned a variety of different companies he's been involved on the board and the CEO of ESL he is an investor and fanatic and a co-owner in G2 that is all tied up in ESL MTG DreamHack Wessa it is a relatively small world still in esports. As much as we'd like to think that we have exploded and there's all this diversity, very few people own all the cards. These are also right. people that are involved heavily in the current form of gambling in esports. You look at sites like CSGO Lounge, Dota 2 Lounge, the skin trading that has caused problems in the past. Guess what? ES Force Holding owns a lot of those companies too. That's really, really worrisome to me because I don't see, first off, just even looking at these rules that Face It and Valve have put out for the major, none of these teams can participate. And there's more <laughs> entanglement than this. And this is just looking at a two-year-old graphic that hasn't been updated with all the other connections that are probably out there. And when you get it down to the level of talking about loans and any financial entanglements, like how many of these people splash their cash across a bunch of different esports organizations wanting to see who would win or hedging their bets? And now they're all entangled together. They all have the same investor. So how do they compete? Like It's both a practical yeah. concern from the, wow, it's really hard to actually keep these teams unentangled, and a competitive concern in that, wow, this is an ecosystem that is very subject to problems. Well, it's an ecosystem that's subject to problems because it is open ownership, right? It's not uh, it's not an actual league. And so when you don't have league restrictions that can enforce ownership rules, uh, and you you co you go about this way that Valve has done, which is to start throwing it in, in uh, start throwing rules into the tournaments that may or may not actually. I I don't know how you enforce it, right? Yeah, like, does this get enforced? Do we actually think right. this gets enforced? 
Like, and to what level? Like we said, is it immediate level? Like the players playing can't have anything? Or is it the owner's direct management? Like what constitutes ownership, right? How many levels deep? Because a lot of these you can, if you go even two levels deep, oh, they own three teams. It's like, wait a minute. So SK can't play Navi or SK can't play Virtus Pro. Like, well, we know Virtus Pro probably won't be there anyways. But still, like there's a lot of these groups that are co-owned that if they – they can't. Even, they won't be. They'll have to choose which of these groups actually gets added in there. Yeah, and if you look at the current list of participants for the London Major, Fnatic and G two are both in there. SK and Navi are both in there. All four of those squads have legend slots. In the challenger section, you have Virtus Pro. You've got Astralis. All these teams are financially entangled with each other. You literally can't hold this tournament as is if you follow the rules to the letter of the law that you have laid out. No, and, you can't. The, the, the other funny thing, too, is that they, they've already instituted legend status, which goes against the rules that they're already throwing down in terms of entry restrictions. At, at what point in time do you say, uh, oh, this is just to participate in the fall ma- the 2018 fall major, which is obviously the London one, but it's like, even so, they're only instituting it on a specific one. Like, At what point in time, is, is there anything in there that says you can't ma- maintain legend status if you do, you get booted from it? It's not. It's super open-ended, and they are saying they have to sign an agreement saying that they don't have anything. Oh, I signed it. Because what, 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 what is the mechanism for upholding this rule? Right. I, I mean, a Valve, there, there's multiple tournaments that are not Valve majors that still involve a lot of money. Yep. And so is Valve's not going to come after you? How, what, Valve can't even get a patch out <laughs> in a year. So it's like, how are they going to try and go after you legally? Well, and I mean, the worst part is, is why even put this in there? Because if you're not going to enforce it, its presence and with non-enforcement is worse than its lack of presence. If we would have just kept chugging along, yeah, it sucks, but no one's paying attention. But now you're like, we're adding this rule. We're not going to do anything about this rule, but we're going to add this rule, which is sending a very distinct message that like, yeah, it's there, but we don't take it seriously. Or, oh, we'll just grandfather everybody in. Like, great. Because yeah. clearly, no, I, in over the course of the three years, this entanglement has unentangled itself some, so it will continue to untangle itself. Like, no, it's getting worse every year as people consolidate and as organizations in this open market right now where they do not have franchising to or a overarching body to keep them in check. This is the playground in worlds like CSGO and Dota to do this kind of thing because you can't go to the Overwatch League and you can't go to League of Legends and pull it off anymore. So you're going to have to pull it off in this Valve sandbox. And the non-enforcement of this is basically like giving implicit permission to continue to do it. Yeah. And I wonder, again, as you mentioned, like consolidation and you start seeing some groups maybe even banding together to get into things like Overwatch League or into League of Legends as they expand, especially in the EU where CSGO is huge right now too. It's uh, the the money's only going to get more entangled, right? And and you may have an investor in say NIP because NIP is going to get a League of Legends spot, right? Um, However, they may also be a a player. uh, You may also be a backer of say Heroic, right? And so now is that a problem because they've this the same backer has backed NIP, so NIP could throw money at Overwatch League. Now that they have a financial like it just it just gets so ridiculous and the i i'm I'm going to throw this out here but and it's equally hilarious and as because it's so not going to happen but this is the the beginning of 
what I would assume with most companies is, is, is this is how we start limiting people who are able to play in the majors and or as they've started the more, you know, more tournaments in terms of the minors and the majors and the repeating uh, series of, of you know, when they happen throughout the year and so on and so forth, that they could start their own CSGO league. But it's Valve. Ha, ha, ha. That won't ever happen because <laughs> it's Valve, right? Yep. So, But in some ways, this could be a way to start limiting that and start getting people to invest in it and you know start going down this franchise model. But it's CSGO and it won't happen. But it needs to happen because there's two things here. One, <laughs> well, well, it needs to happen is like Why a whole happen? other podcast. Because <laughs> um. you hear the term consolidation and people are like, oh, I don't have to worry about SK and Verge Pro getting together. But that's not the problem, right? They're so entangled that like you just look at how we got here. You get a guy like the Jens Hilgers figure and you're like, He's been involved in three or four of these, probably with not the initial intention of entangling any of this, but it all it takes is something one or two, you know, nodes upstream to merge or for somebody to buy somebody else, and then all of a sudden these teams downstream that are completely unrelated are now related. And if there's a lot more money in Virtus Pro making it, or you think that Virtus Pro has a stronger chance and they go up against SK and they own each other, then you got to do this. You know, they're owned by the same overall company that is in it to make money. Oh, and by the way, we can facilitate the betting on that too because we also own the betting mechanism for this particular thing. That's not good. And I don't like it. Like the example you give also worries me because Overwatch League and League of Legends, specifically the NALCS, can cause this because. That somebody will go in to try to get an Overwatch League spot and buy an existing organization that has this blast radius of being in other games like Counter Strike, where you're now creating even more opportunities, as you pointed out, for this. Mm-hmm. And that makes it worse. I just don't, Valve just doesn't care enough to stop it. Some lines well, I, in a contract are not going to stop it if you don't enforce right. it. And I'm well, looking at the major that this law was put into place for, and you are breaking it in so many ways that I have run out of ink to draw the lines between them. <laughs> well, I think largely, uh, you know, Valve, Valve, the, the CSGO scene happened in spite of Valve, right? I mean, they sponsored some tournaments, but for the most part, CSGO. Uh, has has become a beast that the beast that is despite Valve, right? It could actually be bigger. It could actually be better with another company that is more involved than Valve had they actually ran with it, right? It's a, it's a lot like uh, Smash Brothers, right? You you look at that like Nintendo's pretty hands off on that, mostly hands off on that, and yet there's still a scene because it was a grassroots scene. However, with CS:GO, it's become much worse because. Everybody has invested their money in terms from a business standpoint, and all these teams shouldn't be called teams. They should be called startups because that's essentially what they are. And so what you have, you have someone like Hilgers who has a portfolio of startups, which happen to be CSGO brands. He's an eSports VC, right? He's doing what any good VC, too, does is diversify their portfolio. And some of these teams may work out and some of these teams may not. And that's a a scary proposition. And, and, And what happens when... You're, you own this portfolio of all these people and all the all these different teams, and someone comes to you and says, "Hey, we're not going to allow some of your teams in there because they're too successful, right?" Like because what he's what he's done is he's created these brands and they become successful enough that they've qualified for the major, and now that they're successful and they're larger, like you know, again, uh, Navi G two, whatever you want to call it, it now you're going to say, "Well, they can't be in there." Like, 
as a as a as a VC, you're like, wait, now my company's successful and I can't play. Yes. Uh, what are you going to do? Oh well, you, good thing you happen to own ESL. You'll just make more tournaments. Yeah. <laughs> like, and eventually make the Valve majors completely useless. Right. And we have seen what happens. We look at some of these organizations either due to proximity to other events or what have you that have tried to run useful tournaments without some of these key players in place, and it ends up being a shit show. Like nobody right. wants to watch it. There's it's not competitive enough because the drop off after this group of teams is pretty damn steep as far as quality of play is concerned. So there is not a financial incentive for Valve either because we know for a fact that the tournaments for the like the cost of running a major for both Valve and the person running the major, but especially for the person running the major, is astronomical and it is not necessarily a money maker on its own. And then you right. throw out the reason to put eyeballs on the screen that can you can sell advertising against you can sell sponsorships against and like hey would you like to sponsor this random team you've never heard of that play in white t-shirts like no okay well great sorry that's all you have because all these other teams are owned by the same holding group and so it's a good point because uh from what i believe some of the sources had said is that uh Face it didn't look to include this. Valve looked to include this. Mm-hmm. And that it brings up the, the very good point is if Face it is footing the bill for this tournament and they want to sell advertising against it, they want the eyeballs on it, and then Valve comes and says, hey, sorry, you can't have SK, you can't have G2, you can't have Navi. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> you're just, you're like, wait a minute, you're coming to us now and saying that we can't have them? I paid millions of dollars just- for this. <laughs> Yeah, this is a, a very pivotal, uh, pivotal, whatever. I said it wrong, and I've been drinking. But it's one of those moments that has to be. Valve has to show up and either do it, uh, and if they do it, then it's going to set precedent. If they don't, it's going to set precedent. The fact that they they're just BSing. This is yep. Valve will lose complete control if they don't back this up. Yep. And if what and what are you gonna do? Like E League is gonna come along, and be like, hey, we're ready to bid on another major, and they're like, great, you can only pick one third of these teams, and they're gonna go, well, screw that, we're not giving television time to that. Right, right, right. It's yeah, it's it, it's it's not going to happen. Like I said, it's if Valve doesn't step up and actually follow through on some of this, because it is well known that certain groups own certain teams and multiple teams in this event, and if they don't somehow figure this out, uh, it, it's going to boil down to oh, you just can't bet it. It's really what the paperwork will end up being. Like you can't bet on on teams. Is Valve is just so far behind in their yeah. own game. Because they don't it's, care enough. They've lost control. Yeah. And, and and this is them trying to maybe gain back control, but they've got no way to enforce it. Yep. Uh, I'd be interested to see where this goes. Another thing that comes out of this, I think, is worth talking about for a few minutes, is a couple of weeks ago, there was the whole Belgian Gaming Commission and the loot box thing and the laws being passed in Belgium to make loot boxes considered illegal betting. And there was a lot of potential steam that we were getting in the U.S. where people are like, well, we've already seen things like China forcing Blizzard to disclose rates. And there's been talk of pointing out that there is this kind of game of chance built into these games that have these microtransaction loot boxes. And now we're in a scenario where I've seen some initial reactions to this betting thing going like, oh, well, great, loot boxes are fine. Like, no, because now they're, if they are deemed betting, they now fall under whatever regulations are put into place to govern 
betting, which could include in some way, especially when you start talking about these things being tied more and more to the eSport, right? When Overwatch League is tied to in-game loot, if you aren't careful, somebody goes in and draws that line, now what are you going to say? We can't have loot boxes in here because people under the age of 18 could potentially gamble by buying loot boxes mm-hmm. like this is a slippery slope and while i've not seen a lot of connections drawn between these two decisions this could be troublesome because there will be actual laws backdoored as far as loot boxes are concerned into place to govern betting that could unintentionally through the law in its interpretation have a blast radius that will include loot boxes and make it harder to sell games to miners that include this type of microtransaction well, it's a, it's a side effect, essentially, that a business model, which is the loot box business model, uh, will get thrown in or looped in with betting. And now you're basically... Uh, <laughs> you're, you're basically screwing over a lot of games in that... in Well, in, you know, Belgian area, right? So, like, like Belgium's not the biggest market, right? And this is... But it, when they set this, will other... European countries also follow suit, right? Yep. Seeing that, uh, you know, and it, the other thing too is like if your if your primary business model has been loot boxes, which is Overwatch, and now it is uh, something you have to kind of navigate legally, <laughs> and and if you're if you make those changes, how do you make changes just to people who live in Belgium? You can't versus the rest of the world. You can't like. Yeah. I, I, well, you you not probably to that can. degree. Like that's a pretty fundamental shift to split your business model in that way. Well, so the okay, so the Belgian Gaming Commission, uh, they said that. Um, let me see, find the exact word for it, but uh, yeah. So gambling in a video game is defined as any instance wherein a monetary wager could lead to a win or loss. Some loot boxes are considered illegal gambling by this definition. Uh, as purchasing a loot box with a chance-based value is considered a wager. So if they standardize the value that you get out of the loot box, which is for so many points, you know, you you get basically a rare and four, two rares and three commons, and that's it. Uh, You'll never get a legendary. Then the, whatever right yeah, you, there's literally cannot be any real game of yeah. chance because as soon as you get attributive no. value which ironically some of the skin trading stuff starts to do that right like we have a market for some of these games that puts a legitimate yeah. financial value on specific in-game items i think what this is going to force people to do and we've started to see this shift for other reasons but the battle pass model that has been popularized by games like Fortnite that we've also seen adopt in Paladins very recently, like that is a potential way to go where you have a mechanism to pluck money on a regular basis out of people. You allow them to either direct buy cosmetics or essentially the battle pass is this really, you know, backdoory way of getting back to the WoW subscription model. We just spread it out over, you know, pay 60 bucks for four months as opposed to $15 a month. But that may be the way you end up having to go to get the money out of players on a regular basis or start selling DLC. And those methods in the past have proven not popular, right? Like the DLC thing, part of the reasons why we ended up in loot box hell is because companies were having increasing problem and increasing bad optics around selling DLC. There was this idea of like, the game is should be finished. I should get the whole thing. And we've shifted to this more like microtransaction-y type model. And the ironic part is, is the 
grandfathers of this, in my opinion, Riot, are just sitting back and laughing because they've just left their format the same, which is just buy the shit that you want for a set price, and they just continue to rake in the money, and they don't have these games of chances for the large part within their monetary system, and they can continue to operate as need be without like jumping on the latest bandwagon. This does impact more games like Overwatch, and I think while Belgium is certainly a small country, it has definitely raised the ire of people in the U.S., and they're looking at it, and there's been a lot of friction with China. A lot of what we know about these drop rates in loot boxes specifically have been because these games operate in China and the laws force them to disclose the rates in which these things drop. So if that China shoe drops, so to speak, and they start illegalizing it or putting more restrictions in place, it is a much harder market to ignore than Belgium. And then you get that pressure to change your business model. Yeah, and changing a business model on the fly isn't easy, especially when you, you're treating some areas of the world differently than, than others. And so you you see it even even in Hearthstone when they gave a, a specific region uh, because servers were down for an extended amount of time, like free packs, like the rest of the world freaks out. And so if you can imagine a model in which, yeah, every year you're able to straight up buy legendary skins for so much money versus I have to spend a random chance and then building up coins or dust or whatever it may be to actually build it. Like the rest of the world gets pissed. I mean, it is when you have a game that is played by people around the world, you, they all want to be on the same equal footing, especially when it is a competitive game. Uh, Even though the things you may be getting are essentially cosmetic, uh, it is very much, uh, not the case to some people like when they are like investing money in this because yep. otherwise they wouldn't be spending the money they're currently spending <laughs> right right and so you effectively start kind of screwing over the whales or the people who spend a ton amount of money uh, because they could just maybe lock themselves to a different region and then pay a specific fee yep. it, it gets really hazy gets really gray area in a lot of thing a lot of areas and what happens again if you know, another country says we want to, we, we claim it's not just chance. It has to be a specific value or whatever it may be. Like if, if the, every country can just bend that little rule, that rule just a little bit more. Right. And so then you're, you're, you're basically running like 20 different business models and it just gets crazy yep. to support. And there's clearly money in it because Blizzard went through the effort of completely reworking Heroes of the Storm primarily for 2.0 around switching it to this more loot box based model prior to what was more of a League of Legends type model with the buy what you want system. So they're clearly making money on it. It also puts a lot more weight behind region locking, right? Like, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm going to switch to my, you know, Asian Hearthstone account and level up there. No one cares. There's no legal implications for you having accounts in multiple regions. But if somebody who is in a region that it is illegal to do loot boxes can switch their region in the game and get loot boxes, like, those are problems. We've already seen a lot of these concerns be raised around the GDPR stuff that is happening in Europe right now. You know, pour one out for all my dev friends that have had to go down the GDPR rabbit hole. There's a lot of work there, and those edge cases are scary because you don't have control over the user. And then when you start making those actions illegal, and people have free reign to switch between regions, you got to region lock games again, like to make sure that somebody can't do something that is technically illegal. Like, what's the barrier? You know, what what is the test for how hard you have to make it before it's on the user and not on you there's there's a lot of things that go into this i do believe 
that the legalizing of sports betting in the U.S. and when it rolls down to esports and video games is going to have an impact on this debate. I there's just no. It's been labeled betting, and it is too closely related to esports. And a potential major revenue driver is in-game loot of this type around esports. And if that line gets blurred too much, this is <laughs> going to get sucked in, and it's going to be ugly. Yeah, it's. Uh... A lot of times, you know, the government when when a lot of money starts flowing in one direction, they don't uh, like it. They gotta get their fingers. They don't in like it. it. Yep, gotta get their fingers in it. Anyway, let's move on to our favorite punching bag, Overwatch League. There's a lot to talk about here. Let's start off with our favorite punching bag within the punching bag, the Dallas <laughs> Fuel. They are starting their rebuild. It has not been a good first season. No news to anybody. They are starting over with signing a coach. So they had, back in April, dropped their coach. They had basically indirectly laid a lot of the blame on the coach, saying, well, you know, it's the coach's responsibility to kind of get this stuff together. Maybe we've screwed up as an organization, but ultimately, like, it's his responsibility. So he's since left, gone off to be the assistant at Houston, and they have now signed Arrow, who has been the coach most recently for the Fusion University team. So this is Philadelphia's Overwatch Contenders team that recently won the Contenders Championship. Um, He is now taking over immediately. He's signed to the end of Season 2. Twelve of his former players are in OWL currently, so he certainly has or appears to have some sort of pedigree. My question for you is, is this the start of some rebuilding around a team that was supposed to be a big deal, or do you need a hell of a lot more here? Is it more than just like a coaching problem? Well, it's obviously more than a coaching problem. I mean, coaching or not, like the talent involved um, can be problematic it, it's it's one of those things where i tend to think and we've we've heard uh xqc talk about it that they just don't communicate there's a lot of egos on that team um ironically coming from xqc uh there's a lot of e- egos on that team and they, so they don't being that they don't communicate or being that they don't uh follow directions or they don't um work well together is is part of uh part of that does lie on the coach right and so now you're having a coach who's coming from a contenders team bouncing up to OWL and whether or not he's able to wrangle that is a totally different story. Right. We've seen yep. before that, like the, and especially like soccer football, you see coaches who come in with a pedigree and, and have a proven record come into a team with a lot of egos and have a lot of problems with that team. They don't want to listen. They don't want to perform. There's like this kind of revolt in the locker room kind of thing. And with Dallas fuel, already again going into the fourth stage and having basically being on the bottom uh i don't see it turning around for them i it's it's not so much of a uh, it's going to they're going to need to rebuild a lot more than just one coach yes they're currently sitting 10th only to be bested by the florida mayhem who are literally running just enough people to participate and the shanghai dragons that you know Still have still have not won. That's not a great place for a team that was kind of viewed as like, okay, they're going to be one of the top three. Like, this is right. a no-brainer. I think you got to wipe the slate completely clean. Like, signing a coach is awesome. I think it is telling that they signed him through the end of next season. That indicates to me that they view that he's a piece of the puzzle long-term, but he is not the, you know, this is not one of those moves you t- tend to make where it's like, crap, what can we piece together to try to make a run? They are not making a run. Yeah. 
I don't. I have not looked at the math, but I'm almost certain that they are not going to be able to. They could put together a perfect stage, maybe make a little bit of money because of how the format is set up. They can still win the stage, technically speaking, and make some money. But the playoffs are out of the question for the Dallas Fuel. I think it's time to take a page out of the old sports book. Put in your rookies. Give them an opportunity to try out. Try a few different rotations. Try some experimentation. See what you can put together and what pieces are worth keeping to rebuild off of and what pieces you need to dump and make somebody else's problem and go into next season, which we'll get to in a minute, that is already going to be more competitive. There's going to be more money flowing. There's going to be more organizations involved. And if you are dealing with the problems that you're dealing with next season, it's going to be a hell of a lot uglier. The shine of the inaugural season will be over. And you're going to be that team at the bottom, potentially causing problems, potentially losing a crap ton of money. Like a Jack in the Box going to stick around if they are the bottom dwellers of the Overwatch League? <laughs> because not every team has sponsorships to that degree. If I'm Jack in the Box, yeah, I may be local. That's why I'm doing it. But if I'm a bigger sponsor, where am I going to put my money? Sure, the hell is not into the team with all the problematic issues sitting in the bottom of the table. Right. Well, and on top of that, you have uh, generally when you bring in a new coach, they give the coach the ability to adjust talent in whatever way they seem see fit. And if it's a, like a mid-season replacement, replacement, other grant, this is again going into the final stage. Uh, they're allowed to kind of try things out, and if talent doesn't perform underneath that coach, it generally means talent gets removed the following. The, the following at the next opportunity. session yep. yeah the next opportunity and so in doing so uh and the fact that they've already signed him through the end of next season means that they're looking he's got a plan they have a plan a talent plan and they want to build and uh, they want to build an established talent and it's not with this crew and i think you're going to see a lot of that and that's probably what sold him on it was his vision of let's just see what we have what we can scrape together and here's the long-term plan because he's he's able to win out he won out contenders with fusion Right. And he has, uh, again, like you mentioned, multiple people who he's coached before are in Overwatch League. So he's able to coach to that level. I think that's a it's a smart play. Um, and I, I think we're going to see a different fuel in stage four. You could possibly see people them actually working together or people being a little more desperate to keep their spots um, because I, I have this feeling like it's just now going to sink in for the fuel that like this is probably the last time i'll play an overwatch league unless i make something of it because it just it's who's like going to want to touch old- this right like who's going to want to take on any of these individuals with that kind of track record in professional overwatch right. of being problematic like are yeah. we going to get our is somebody going to step up and be the new england patriots that like are renowned for pulling the like the, the troublemakers and making them well, do something like maybe but and, and like in the in the case of like rascal like who wants to go to Dallas Fuel at that point with this team, the way they're acting and yep. the way that they've been. And you, even so, you, you might even be able to bring in new talent. And that could have been one of the reasons why Kai Kai was like, go, is you bring in new talent, and that talent is supposed to help you and instead doesn't want to even deal with you. Yep. Then you have a, a problem with a lot of uh, a lot of people. I think uh, this this offseason is going to be huge for them. That's going to be great. Uh, I can't wait. It's going to just be, uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people ba- going back to streaming, I think, versus <laughs> playing in Overwatch League. It's really what it's going to be. I, I can't, I, there's there's some players who I just, I don't see them. I, I don't, I don't see them. Like Seagull, like why? Why would you continue at all? Go back to, go back to streaming. How much money has he lost? 
Like, seriously, like, I wonder what the financial pain has been for him. But this is interesting. So I want to segue into this because this is an interesting dichotomy. So ESPN reported earlier in the week that Blizzard wants to add four to six additional teams into Overwatch League for the next season. They are asking somewhere in the range, reportedly, of thirty to sixty million dollar buy-in. So that is mm-hmm. a significant bump over the twenty million dollar price that was reported for the first season. That number is going to be on a sliding scale based on the population of the area, based on bidding. It sounds like they're planning on getting some bidding wars going. I do not think we will see another LA type situation. I think they made some exceptions to fill the seats because people seem to be a lot less tentative this go-around than they were the first go-around because it has proved out to be somewhat of a success financially. And if that is the case, I'm looking at the table. I'm looking at the performances you and I just described. And we've talked about this being a problem in other games. Is there enough talent to support another four to six teams like will these people actually be able to find a spot because where else are you going to get it from like is the quality of playing contenders significantly good enough when you have quite frankly just shit teams sitting at the bottom of the overwatch league right now you've got shanghai with zero wins you've got the mayhem with six you've got the fuel with seven like these are organizations that have no business participating in Overwatch League right now with the rosters that they've managed to put together slash the quality of play, and you want to add six more to that? Like, is there just some awesome players hiding somewhere that I'm not aware of, or is this just going to get worse? <laughs> well, I, I think I, I think that adding more people is is going to be a good thing. Are we going to find another NYXL, or are we going to have like another London Spitfire, which even Soul Dynasty, where you have these like core teams who are just uh, have a history of, of performing well being put together uh i know that 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 level isn't out there um but you can still find some surprises like boston uprising nobody would have thought like they would have had the run that they did right in stage three like not even not a thought like at the beginning of the season we were just harping on how bad that logo is despite <laughs> their players it's right still bad Right. Yeah, it still is. That wasn't past tense. But again, when you look at it, um, you can you can put together quality teams with uh, again that are quality players. You just have to find the right mix, and you have to find people that work well together. I think Dallas Fuel is an example of how to put a lot of big names together, but with no real ability to play together. Uh, and so that's why you get one and nine. I don't know what happened with Shanghai Dragons. I can't speak to that. I have absolutely no idea why they can't seem to actually win. Um, but again, I, I think what we've seen in stage three was a lot of the groups like London Spitfire coming in sixth, Soul Dynasty coming in seventh. These are two teams that they were almost uh, Again, at the beginning of the of the season, we're we're seen to be like penciled in his favorites. Like, who's going to beat him? Right, right. And so now, again, you're you're seeing them still coming in like second and and fourth and and third and fifth. Like, it's just they're not performing to the level in which they they thought they would. NYXL is doing very very well. We've seen in last stage three, we've seen both both LA teams top out and in going yep. to the top four. Like, these are teams that again, I think what very first uh very first stage uh uh the gladiators barely made top 10 yep, yep. right gladiators and, sat at eight 
Uh, they made it to fifth in stage two and then fourth in stage three. So pro- it's like right. progressing and, up. And, Val- and Valiant was eighth. So we're seeing these teams that were mid-table, maybe mid to late table, uh, now are are starting to come together. They're working well together. They've, they've figured it out from a coaching standpoint, from a strategy standpoint. And so I, I believe just in the, the track record, if you look at the top three or top four in stage three, uh, Boston Uprising, NYXL, Valiant, and Gladiators, Again, earlier on in previous stages, those were like a it's essentially like a number one team mixed with numbers like five and sixes, right? Yep. So it gives them a chance to grow and gives them a chance to uh, I don't know make money as an organization and, and get maybe more talent in or support their players. And I think that's good. I think there's more opportunity. If anything, it'll allow Dallas to maybe not be. I mean, there'll be eleven. Give them some more punching bags. (laughs) Eleven out of sixteen instead. Um, Maybe if those four teams don't field any players. Uh, So I, I, there's, it's not bad adding more teams. I think it's important to add more teams. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that need to change within Overwatch League to make it more interesting. I don't know if the stage format works very well. But that's I don't know how this is going to hold up with like yeah eighteen teams. I think another interesting point to make. And unsurprisingly, we were fairly wrong when you looked at it on paper. You and I made a lot of jokes about how it sucks to be the Atlantic because it's all it's a spitfire and then whoever else is going to make an attempt at number two in that in that division because they just look so strong compared to everybody else. And now we're just laughing at that prediction because they're, the Atlantic division has actually turned out to be the stronger of the two divisions when you look at the league table right now. Like, they own the top three spots. They own four of the top six spots. And outside of the Florida Mayhem, they've been pretty consistent across the entire division. And we didn't think that was going to be the case at all. We just assumed it was going to be the Spitfire running away with it. So there is some validity to that. I think what is interesting is can other organizations find people like Arrow that are these like smart coaches that can help them pluck out the diamonds in the rough out of contenders to piece these squads together? And will the squad hoarding diminish as we expand the teams? Because if I'm a good player, am I going to ride the bench for the Spitfire or the NYXL, or am I going to go off to the new Chicago team, or hopefully, fingers crossed, the new Seattle team, and play there? The answer is probably going to be I'm going to go play there because at least I get time to play and potentially a higher level contract instead of ride the bench. So do these benches get thinner? Does it give more opportunity for contenders players to ride the bench and get potential playtime in the Overwatch League? That will be another interesting thing to watch. And I think if you can find your arrows of the world that know contenders well enough and know who to pluck out of those organizations, that will be key to being competitive going forward. Because I imagine absent of these people that ride the bench and i look at people like the nyxl like if i'm pine do i continue to play on nyxl like i'm not always guaranteed a spot or do i go somebody somewhere else right we're about to see flower finally like yeah flower go somewhere else the answer may be yes like playtime is better than no playtime especially if I'm giving up money as a streamer or things of that nature mm-hmm. like you mentioned with seagull so it's gonna be interesting to see how that all plays out i still got it like the numbers don't scream, there, and I clearly I'm missing some behind-the-scenes fundage that is flying around, but $60 million seems awful steep with these, these stream numbers. Like, they are yeah. good. They are not $60 million good. 
You would cancel a TV show if 150,000 people showed up to watch it and it cost you $60 million to, to be involved. But clearly they're yeah. seeing there's some opportunity there that I'm not seeing or there's the sponsorship money is flowing a little bit more firmly or maybe people are buying a crap ton of league tokens. Yes, if, in case you forgot, those are still a thing. Like you can go buy yourself <laughs> some league tokens and some overpriced skins. Maybe that is what's doing it. I, I clearly don't know. But clearly people are seeing enough indicators in the Overwatch League and in the market to be willing to spend this much money and this is a very different narrative coming out of the sources that that espn tends to use and what we heard at the beginning of last season which was like crap we gotta try to put together 12 teams somebody go ask somebody let's have another la team this this, now they're talking about bidding wars over cities they're talking about more teams that want to get in that will be able to get in it's a very different narrative and kudos to overwatch league and Nate and answer for for turning that narrative around, regardless of what the numbers are behind it, because that ch- completely changes people's perspective going into season two. And if you can mm-hmm. increase the the size of the Overwatch League by fifty percent to the tune of thirty <laughs> to sixty million dollars a pop, and you get into some of those markets that had us kind of tilting our heads, going, "Well, why aren't you there?" You get more into Europe, you get more into Asia, you get into the damn Midwest, and you get into some of those cities on the coast that you should be in that you are not. Things could be in a better spot, and you know, I give them like a little golf so. clap. <laughs> well, I mean, I, th- I think uh, Overwatch l- Overwatch themselves just announced that they had like forty million now. I think. Yep. yep. It's so the game's slowing, still growing. It, it's still growing, but it's it's slowing down the pace now. But yep. still, forty million uh, is like a huge install base. Yes. So. Yes. For a type of game that I would argue is far more ephemeral than a MOBA. I think well, uh, I think for, for, there's less depth to it to keep people coming back. The the type of game yes. that is uh, you you have to pay up front to buy, yep, and pay up front to own, right? Versus uh, you, League had a huge install base because it was free, right? They, we were like we were three hundred million. I'm like, well, it's easy. I could have installed it five times on my machine, on yep. whatever. Like, it, it costs nothing to install. So install bases, again, that's forty million of worth of people who paid on average of probably forty. To fifty dollars a piece. Yep. So, so we got fourth stage coming up. An interesting topic that has arisen around the fourth stage is what patch they're going to be playing on. So Seagull, speaking of Seagull and his streaming, mentioned on his stream that it was unlikely that we would see the reworked Hanzo. And one important note, and I actually didn't know this, there is a parallel patching system for Overwatch League specific that is separate from Overwatch League. And that's not just to say that, like, yeah, duh, they don't always patch at the same time the live game does. They actually have different things in those patches. A lot of the code that is needed specifically for the observers is not in the live game code and is only in this version. And they have come across a bug in 1-2-3 that is keeping them from being able to reliably resume the paused escort maps and getting back to where they need to get to if that is something that happens. So where we are at now is that we're going to play on patch 1-2-2. So we are going to get Brigida. There were some rumors flying around that the patch that we'd end up playing on would not have Brigida. We will not get reworked Hanzo, which is a big deal, because reworked Hanzo, at least in the hands of competitive players and in the hands of people playing on the live servers, is a very different and more impactful Hanzo. Arguably only at the lower tiers, but we will see how that ends up playing out. And we will not get the nerfed Brigida, who had her cone to her shield bash reduced in 1-2-3. So we will get to the unnerfed Brigida. So this is going to be very interesting. We're getting a new hero into the meta. We're not getting the Hanzo rework. And we are getting who they have said, arguably, is a overpowered version of Brigida in this patch. Yeah, so 
one of the reasons why they say that they don't want this to happen is because they don't want uh, teams to be, um, I guess, surprised or not have enough time with a specific patch or character or, mm-hmm. again, if it's a new character or a new ability that's been patched or changed. They don't want the, the competition to be affected by that uh, because it would throw off play or whatever. And I'm I'm against that, really. I think have, if everybody is on the same playing field then that adds a little more change to it, right? Like if midway through stage four, things change and all of a sudden new characters are being played and new strategies are being played out. Hooray. Stage four is drastically different than stage three. Especially when the meta is so stale. Right. Right. And so when the, when you're not introducing some of these things, I understand not introducing them competitively, like, you know, going that two week route before they add in a a play or a uh, character competitively, there's social reasons largely behind that, but if you want people, your you know your individuals that are playing, unless these professional teams are playing on the exact build or they have their own install, which is possible, they have their own OWL version of the game that they are able to play on and practice on versus the actual live client, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. And if they want to play on their free time on their own machine, like you saw, you know, Siegel worked a lot with Hanzo, expecting it to hit. Well, they've invested the time. He's invested the time to become a good Hanzo player on the, on the, on the live server with a new patch. And now that screwed him over because he spent that time doing it. And so I, I'm, I'm against it a hundred percent. There's, there's differences between, again, this is something that's been tested. They need to do balance changes, uh, and I know the Hanzo rework is a little more than balance, but why wouldn't you just still add in the the cone change to Brigitte and and like I don't get it. I don't you already have like custom it. patches, so what? Why can't you roll some of these other pieces? Like why yeah. can't you have like a one two three or a one two two A or whatever that is specifically for Owl that includes the competitive things without introducing your observer bugs, right? And then telling them, say, hey, after in, in two weeks, we're going to be adding this in. Like, you, they know it's coming. Yep. They can prepare strategies for it. Then it just boils down to getting time to play it. Like, you have all that there. Like, let them practice on it or let them do it. I, it just it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Like, I know that some, uh, like, Riot has talked about not dropping patches during certain times because it would throw off gameplay and so on and so forth. But they've perfected that over the years. And they've also now gone to uh, a franchise model where they're the basically the main ones controlling the tournaments. The reason why they did that before when they said they would time it out differently was because you had third parties running tournaments. And what would happen is, is they're okay, this third party tournament, and this happening in, again in a lot of games is the, you, you set a date for your tournament. Everybody goes, uh, say it's like August 1st. And then in, you know, July the 18th, a new patch is dropped or even the day before the patch is dropped. And now everything is in total disarray. Things may not work. Things may be broken. And that's the reason why they didn't want it involved or why they timed things out. Overwatch league isn't really dealing with that potentially. They are and they aren't because they've got a a bug. But if you're running a parallel system anyways, it's pretty crippling because we're not talking about like, this is not a tournament. This is an entire stage, and I don't know what this will impact. I imagine they'll get this fixed for the playoffs, but this just. But what else is not <laughs> yeah. going to make it? What changes are going to happen between right. now and July when the playoffs kick off? We've got the anniversary event. I don't know that we'll have another hero, but I imagine there'll be more balance patches. We got a Symmetra rework that we know that's floating around there. Like, it's not 
in your best interest to be lagging behind the live game in a significant way, especially when you're talking about massive hero reworks that can change the meta or characters that need are OP or need buffed. And I think it is important. And the map rotation, in my opinion, has not proved to be an interesting enough mechanism to keep things exciting from stage to stage. The one complaint, well, I shouldn't say the one, but one of the complaints that I have about Owl right now is that this season is too long. These stages are not Mm -hmm. as effective enough as I think they hoped of a distinction to get excitement. Yay, performance bonuses. Eh, Like, you know, I get it to a certain degree, but it's just like... (laughs) Overwatch, in my opinion, is just not dynamic enough of a game from a meta standpoint to make it interesting. When you look at like the champion count at like a Dota or a League of Legends finals, where it's like, oh, how, like, oh my god, we played all of them, or people get excited because somebody gets picked. There's not enough heroes to make that exciting. So when you take another layer of that possibility out, that kind of sucks. So at least we get Brigida. Because, God, if we had to live through another freaking stage of no Brigida in the dive meta, like, we might as well just replay stage three over again. Like, yay. So, at least we get that. I was looking forward to seeing some Hanzo. Lots of valid points for why this should not be the case, but as of now, it's going to continue to be. It's a shame that an Observer bug ends up causing it to have an impact on the presentation and the potential meta of the product, but here we are. Speaking of the playoffs, those are coming. I had to write this all down because it was a tremendous <laughs> amount of information. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did, man. <laughs> so for those of you that have not been following along, the playoffs are going to kick off starting in July. So July 11th, 13th, and the 14th. These will be taking place at the Blizzard Arena. So the top, just a refresher for those of you that are not following Al or have not looked at your recent flow charts, the top six teams will qualify. The top seed from each division will get a round one bye. And then the top remaining four teams, regardless of division, will go into the first round of the playoffs. It will be a third seed versus a sixth seed and a fourth seed versus a fifth seed in the quarterfinals. They will then reseed them with the same format as the first week. <laughs> and the top seed in the league will play the quarterfinals team with the lesser regular season record. <laughs> and two winners will move on to the grand finals at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. If you still don't understand how we got from there to here, you're not the only damn one. Like this seems this almost makes the PUBG <laughs> scoring <laughs> uh, somewhat understandable. But my favorite I, my favorite line to this is it's a unique format that guarantees a whole lot of Overwatch over the course of the playoffs and the finals. Translation: We have no idea what the hell we're doing. <laughs> Wow. At what point in time does the scattering of bones and uh, looking at star charts come into play as to which team gets involved in? Like, I, I had to mash up some leaves and some berries and like paint my face I, and eat some peyote. I don't know what the hell's going on. And my favorite is if you go if you go to standings uh, on the Overwatch site and you go to league, it just lists them one through twelve like straight up, but it doesn't actually like. Uh, doesn't actually tell you like what division they're in or you can't break it down by like they don't give you the ability to break it down very well because maybe that's why as of now the best i can muster maybe is if we were to have the playoffs today it would be nyxl boston uprising the spitfire la valiant soul dynasty and the fusion with nyxl and the valiant 
getting the buys being the top team in the Atlantic and the Pacific Division currently. That is how things right. sit. Now, that being said, the Gladiators, the Outlaws, and the Shock, I believe, are all still within shouting distance and have a chance technically and that's good to a certain degree but six teams is a lot this is like the u.s playoff problem this reminds me of mls <laughs> say, right yeah i was just gonna say the mls were like participation uh, you, trophy everybody's in the playoffs like some <laughs> right. people will argue it's exciting that the shittiest team or near the bottom team in the league can potentially win the playoffs and we have certainly had opportunities where that has gotten close Purists, people from the football world, will argue they were the best in the regular season, and holy crap, 6 out of 12 is a lot. Um, <laughs> like, you really don't have to do great, and you can conserve yourself for the playoffs. It's a potential thing that could happen here. But yeah, we will we will see. I, I, I really don't know. Here. It's also a weird system in which the Boston Uprising, for example, who are currently sitting at number two, don't get a buy because a worser team in a division that, quite frankly, doesn't freaking matter most of the time. Uh, like the division thing seems unnecessary to me. Well, yeah, I think so. I think what you're seeing is they more than likely wrote into contracts for the teams as to how it would be seated beforehand. Not really. We, we basically just want to guarantee that, that like you have a better chance of getting it even if this this division is overpowered right right so i think that's largely what what happened is i think this is probably a money thing that was written into contracts saying that you know the teams the top three teams from each division will, will face off kind of even though uh if you're it's essentially in the atlantic division and you're you know the sixth place team but you just happen to be the fourth place in the atlantic division like you might get screwed like it just it's it's awkward and weird and i think a lot of it is they, they're trying to build it around these clauses which they probably put into contracts not 100 percent understanding how the league would work in terms of the stage format and, and change it I, next year is going to be way different I, I feel like this year you might as well just chalk it up to well we're figuring some stuff out but i feel like there's going to be uh, at blizzcon more than likely a giant announcement that is here's actually how we're going to do the league now because as, it, as long as Nate's, stuff didn't work as long as nate's rocking that awesome starter jacket he rocked last year like, <laughs> right that was my favorite part i think what you have potentially here in the atlantic division is an nba style west coast team problem in which the playoffs do not feature the best teams in the nba because the best teams in the nba are slanted heavily in the western conference and you end up with a bunch of crappy Eastern Conference teams that are in, and if you took the best teams in the NBA, it'd be like 80% Western Conference and 20% Eastern Conference, and I think you have a similar situation here with the Atlantic and Pacific, and potentially could get worse as we go into expansion, depending on how they balance these, well, depending on how they try to balance these teams out, and they end up being horribly wrong, and to be fair, it's actually a little bit more balanced than I expected, Um, but we still are in that scenario where the poor Valiant, like if things were to end today... Um, or should I say the, the positive for the Valiant because the Valiant end up getting a buy when the poor Boston Uprising who will finish a second to the NYXL are just kind of out of luck as by nature of the division that they are in even though it doesn't really impact the regular season as much so we'll see if you want to attend you can do so in Brooklyn on July what is it god I don't have the date in front of me July 14th I believe it is um, tickets are on sale now 30 bucks a pop so relatively inexpensive compared um, I'll be interested to see how big of a deal they make about this I mean one of the things you and I talked about is how big the international and League of Legends worlds have gotten as a spectacle I mean crap League of Legends won a sports Emmy for that crazy <laughs> like AR dragon situation that right. they had so it'll be interesting to see how that compares 
especially given the amount of money flowing into this, like how big of a deal they make about it. And the Barclays Center is not a small place. There are very large sporting events that take place at the Barclays Center. Uh, So we will see. We will see how that ends up playing out. One last story I want to get to before we wrap things up, because this is mostly just a hilarious aside, but the Philadelphia Fusion University, who, quite frankly, I had not even heard of before this week, are now (laughs) donating coaches, winning contenders, and telling you to fuck off. (laughs) So... this yeah, go great. ahead. Good, man. This, this is the greatest story ever. So, Richard Lewis, who just loves to rail on Overwatch League, initially brought this to my attention on Twitter when he was like, if you just needed another reason to make fun of Overwatch League and, and, and them generating memes, the Philadelphia Fusion University Contender Squad got jerseys printed that hilariously had FU, Fusion University, on the jersey. And out of the blue last minute at the Poland Media Day for the Contenders Finals, they were asked to remove them, and they were banned because of the potential, you know, negative connotation, surprise, of the FU lettering on their jersey, and they didn't want to piss off sponsors. So instead, they competed in black t-shirts and won in black (laughs) t-shirts because blizzard was so concerned about fu and one of the players hilariously pointed out that in a game where mccree has bamf badass motherfucker on his belt buckle (laughs) we somehow can't have fu on our shirts yeah yeah i wonder how much those uh jerseys will go for now like and how many people will do it how many people try and selling them or just competing in them maybe but what happens if you show up at uh the overwatch playoffs in one of them (laughs) will this be be like wrestling where they take my bad sign away from me as i come in the building or can i just like middle replace it with my sweater off and just be like f you it'll be great I think uh, I think we need some opportunity. This is like I would love to see more of this. If you follow like minor league baseball, they're notorious for just coming up with ridiculous like gimmicks to try to sell jerseys and get butts in the seats, including some of my favorites. So when I used to work for Bleacher Report, we would get these like single A, double A, triple A teams sending us merchandise, and there'd be things like it's Philly Cheesesteak Night. Here is your fitted cheesesteak hat with the scratch and sniff philly cheesesteak logo on it that actually smelled pretty disgusting like we need that level of stuff like let's get the philadelphia fusion university jerseys <laughs> and i'll have a special night for them where everybody just shows up and we'll call it like the fu blackout and everybody's just rocking like black t-shirts that they pull off with fu underneath it like that. Oh, I, I assume i assumed everybody's just going to get blackout drunk but that's just <laughs> i mean depending <laughs> gotcha so yep. I thought this was hilarious. Like Richard Lewis clearly unhappy about this. <laughs> I I think somebody needs to buy that poor man a drink and just like he needs he just needs a drink and a hug. He's very upset about this. And an FU jersey. And an FU jersey. Someone send Richard Lewis an FU jersey. If I don't see Richard Lewis wearing an FU jersey on his next video show, I'm disappointed in all five of you that listen to this show. So just just let it. <laughs> if you are one of those five people that listen to the show and you have not left a review, we always appreciate that. You can leave those five star reviews in your comments over on iTunes. You can also, if you're not an iTunes person, check us out every Tuesday, Wednesday on iTunes, Overcast, Pocketcast, iHeartRadio, tune in or over on our site at nerfthis.gg. If you want to check us out on our social channels, you can do so 
at Nerf This Crew on the Twitters. And then we were also at Nerf This GG on Facebook and Instagram. And if you are old school, you can send us an email at show at nerfthis.gg. And if you work for the Fusion organization, we would love some FU shirts. Like, hit us up on Twitter. We'll give you a mailing address. Like, I will rock an FU shirt to every Overwatch event I go to until they tell me I can't <laughs> wear it anymore. Yeah, yeah, me too. Awesome. There we go. Send those over. That's going to do it for this week's show. We will be back next week with another episode of Nerf This. Yeah.